Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And, um, you know, beyond just this beatitude, this fifth beatitude, uh, I also want to look at a parable that I think is related. So we'll also look at chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then over to the parable. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart is the word of the Lord. Let me, uh, let me pray before we get started. <clears throat> uh, God, we thank you just for this time. And, you know, as always, we, we pray this similar prayer, but it's uh, all the more important, um, not only each and every week, but uh, every possible moment that uh, you speak to us, that we hear from you. And especially in moments where, uh, you know, there's maybe uncertainty or anxiety or um, any of the moments where maybe we're dwelling in sin and we need uh, to be reminded uh, to seek you or where we need some encouragement. Uh, we ask God that you speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, <clears throat> you know, it's, uh, it's raining today, so we didn't do the outdoor worship. I don't know if uh, we'll have an opportunity to do it again, but uh, if we do, It'll probably be a last-minute decision, and in the future, you'll get an email on Saturday if it uh, happens again. But we have been going through the Beatitudes, and today what we're going to do is we, we're going to look at this topic of mercy. And, you know, the first four Beatitudes, they seem to deal with more of like this vertical dimension in terms of our relationship with God. And the last four Beatitudes seem to deal more with like the horizontal dimension of our relationship with others. And today marks the beginning of that, the start of that second half of the Beatitudes, which uh, I think we are going to look at more of the horizontal dimension. And this was actually the reason why I wanted to preach on the Beatitudes in the first place, because I think in this current climate, uh, we need more people who are citizens of the kingdom and conform to the norms of the kingdom. We need people who are merciful and people who are pure in heart and people who are makers of peace. And if righteousness brings about persecution, then so be it. We need followers of Jesus to be willing to endure for the sake of righteousness. Uh, today, we're going to look at this fifth beatitude, which says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And as I was preparing this, you know, naturally, my first question is, what does Jesus mean by mercy? And I don't know how many of you grew up uh, watching The Karate Kid. 
but I was reminded of it because you know, if you on Netflix, there's like a spinoff TV show called Cobra Kai. And uh, I started watching a couple episodes of it and it is uh, everything you would dream it to be, right? It is fantastic. And I, I wanted my wife to watch it with me, but she refused because um, uh, she has no culture. And so I watched it on my phone and it is amazing. If you if you love the Karate Kid, highly recommend it. But uh, you know, in the Karate Kid movies, and I think maybe this is why it's on my mind when I think about Mercy. Uh, if you remember way back in the '80s when Karate Kid first came out, right? The sensei of Cobra Kai, uh, his one of his values is to show no mercy. Right? He says, "We do not train to be merciful here. Mercy is for the weak. Here in the streets, in competition, a man confronts you; he is the enemy. An enemy deserves no." mercy right i can't i can't see everybody have you have your uh, cameras off i don't know if you uh resonate with what i'm saying or if you're uh, rolling your eyes but either way it resonated with me right cobra kai sensei tells johnny to sweep the leg which is a dirty move and then he enforces it by saying what no mercy it's this kind of win at all costs kind of mentality where showing mercy is considered to be a weakness and, you know, childhood movies run deep because that was the first word, uh, first thing I thought about when I thought about the word mercy and what does it mean? And I said, well, is mercy showing compassion? Is mercy, mercy about uh, maybe withholding aggression where you can destroy somebody, but you withhold that? But of course, it's not good exegesis to get different definitions of the things that Jesus said from 80s movies. So uh, I did a search to see where else Jesus uses this word mercy in the Gospel of Matthew to try to get a better idea of what mercy means. And you know what? It took me to this parable in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus gives a parable of the unforgiving servant. And at the end of the parable, he says, uh, And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And that struck me as being something very similar to what Jesus is saying in this beatitude. So what I thought is it's better to maybe look at this parable because it really gives us a fuller picture of what I think Jesus is saying in this beatitude. Uh, this parable doesn't necessarily give you this the, uh, precise definition of mercy, but I think it does one better in that it gives us an illustration or a story of it. And sometimes that's more helpful than a definition because a parable can really activate our imagination so that we can start to draw a multitude of implications in terms of how we ought to be merciful to others in our lives. So this parable begins with a question from Peter. And Peter asked, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And ultimately, this question is what leads to this parable on what Jesus means by showing mercy, which tells us that there is this relationship between forgiveness and mercy. And Jesus's answer is to forgive 77 times, which is a way of saying forgiveness for a person who sins against you should be unlimited. He doesn't mean it literally 77 times, but he's saying uh, as much as a person sins against you, you ought to forgive that person. And, you know, that can be tough if you really think about uh, forgiveness as um, a means of maybe extending uh, your heart and affection. And if you think about, well, that's not really fair if I, if I do that. And depending on the offense, sometimes it feels as though you can't do that because you've been so hurt or you've been so uh, damaged by, uh, by a sin. And you, you just can't uh, bring yourself to a point where uh, you can show uh, mercy or forgive th that person. But I think, in fact, if, uh, if you want to really seek uh, purity of justice, uh, if you really want things to be fair, I actually think mercy has to be a part of that equation, which I'll talk about a little bit later. So 
Uh, Peter asks this question, and Jesus tells this parable about a king and his servants. And by the way, I want you to notice how the parable begins. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Jesus tells this parable to show more of what the kingdom of heaven is about. And as I said, as I said uh, the dominant theme in Jesus' preaching, in the Sermon on the Mount, in these Beatitudes, I think is the kingdom of heaven, even in this parable. And this is how the kingdom of heaven works under the reign and the rule of Jesus, our king. There was a king who was settling his accounts, which means those who owed him money, they would be expected to pay back that money. And one person, it says, owed him 10,000 talents, which is an exorbitant amount of money. And just to give you a little bit uh, of an idea of how much money that is, one talent is supposed to be worth uh, 20 years wages for a laborer. Okay, that's just one talent. This servant owes 10,000 talents. So one commentator says it's kind of like saying you owe somebody a zillion dollars, right? It's kind of made up figure. It's so high and it's so uh, unreasonable to expect that a servant is going to pay that back. That, um, right, that's how much the servant owes. Now, when you can't pay off a debt, uh, at least today in our world, uh, it's, it's, what do you do? You probably declare bankruptcy. It, it affects your credit score. Maybe you don't have access to more credit and you can't take out loans. But in the ancient world, apparently, you can get thrown into jail for the inability to pay off a debt. So this inability to pay off a debt, it carries severe consequences. The servant falls on his knees and begs the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And if you understand how much money he owes, that's not really a true statement. There is no way that this debtor is going to be able to pay back this outstanding sum of money. But you see, miraculously, the king looks at the servant and it says he has pity for him. And what does he do? He decides to forgive the debt. And it would be like buying a, I don't know, a $30 million penthouse apartment in Manhattan and not being able to pay the bank back. And then having the bank say, you know, it's okay, I'll forgive you the debt. And what happens is not only do you get to keep the apartment, but you now don't have to pay back that sum of money. And that's, that's a really gracious thing to do. And that's ultimately how forgiveness works. That's what forgiveness means. It means you no longer hold what is owed to you over the other person, but you make this choice. You make this decision to say, I am going to now absorb the cost of the debt upon myself. Because it's not as if uh, you eventually get paid that money back. You're just saying, I will pay the debt on my own and not expect the other person to pay it back to me. And of course, we're talking about it in financial terms, but that's actually how it works in uh, in general as well. You know, whenever uh, there is an offensive sin against a person, it creates a kind of debt. So, for example, if uh, a person slanders me behind my back and, uh, I don't know, damages my reputation, falsely damages my reputation, and I, I find out about it, a debt is created. And I could say, well, a debt is created and you need to pay that debt. And the way you're going to pay that debt is this. I am going to now slander you behind your back. And therefore, we will call it even. And others would see that and they would say, well, you had a right to do that because of what that person did to you. And I think kids have that basic sense of fairness because when one child does something, like if one child pinches another child, the other child will likely pinch the other child back for the sake of equity, for the sake of fairness. And in an ideal world, 
that would be the execution of justice. And I think that would actually be fine according to the Bible's principle of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. The other option is you can forgive the offender, which means you can say, even though I've been hurt, even though you deserve something, even though, um, uh, right, even though uh, something should be done to you for the sake of justice, I will decide to absorb the pain of your sin upon myself. Whatever emotional pain, whatever reputational damage was done because of that slander, forgiveness is saying I'm going to suffer the consequences of that slander and let that person go debt free. And that's how forgiveness works. Now in this parable, that's what the king does for this servant. And so the servant should be the happiest person in the world because he just got out of a major jam. But then what happens is the servant encounters another servant, the fellow servant who owes him money, significantly less money, a hundred denarii. And uh, this fellow servant falls down and begs and says, have patience with me and I will pay you. And Jesus, by telling this parable, is intentionally using the same exact phrase that the servant said to the king. But rather than canceling this person's debt, what this unforgiving servant does is has that servant, fellow servant thrown into prison until he can pay off that debt. And the king hears about it and uh, hears what this unforgiving servant has done and says to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should you... Uh, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And then he has this unforgiving servant thrown into prison as well until he should be able to pay off his debt. When you read the Beatitudes and when you read what Jesus says in this parable, it does sound a little bit like, uh, sounds like Jesus is saying, you know, if you fail to show mercy, then God won't be merciful to you. Or if you don't forgive, then your heavenly father won't forgive you. And you hear something like that, it sounds like uh, maybe it's uh, receiving mercy and forgiveness from God is somewhat conditional or meritorious and something that we have to earn. Uh, but then you think about other parts of the Bible and, and the message of the gospel and says we are recipients of God's free grace, which means we can't earn or merit God's favor or forgiveness or anything like that. And so the question is, like, how do we make sense of uh, these two kind of statements? And I think this parable helps us see the dynamics a little bit clearer. The king forgave the servant first, and there was no stated reason for offering that forgiveness of debt other than pity or compassion. It's not as though the king said, well, this servant has generally been a good person throughout their lives and deserves another chance, or, well, this person has had a tough childhood, and so I can't blame him for all this debt. No, the king simply forgives the debt and lets the servant go out of pity and compassion. And the servant didn't earn it or merit it, merit that forgiveness in any way. But the Im implication is, if he really did understand what it meant to be forgiven of that debt, then it should have done something genuine to him. It should have transformed his heart. It should have made him even more merciful to others. And perhaps most importantly, it should have humbled him and made him a little self, less self-righteous, right? Self-righteousness, where did that come from? Well, I don't know how often we understand how powerful the temptation towards self-righteousness is when someone offends us, when someone sins against us. Those are the moments where you suddenly feel like you are better than the other person, right? If someone I know lies to me and I catch them in that lie, here's what happens in my heart. I say in my heart, wow, that person lied. 
that person's a liar, unlike me. That person has no standard of morality, unlike me. That person has no self-control, unlike me, right? Uh, that person is a disgusting human being with no integrity, unlike me. And you hear the self-righteousness that is oozing out of those kinds of comments. You feel this kind of moral superiority to that person who sins against you or who offends you. And there's a book uh, you know, I've referenced uh, many times before called The Righteous Mind by uh, Jonathan Haidt. And it's about why, quote unquote, good people are divided by religion and politics. And the title is so perfect because that perfectly describes the dynamics of the moment where you have different tribes or you have two sides and each side sees themselves as more righteous than the other side. And whenever they are attacked by the other side, what happens? They feel morally superior to the other side, which enables them to demonize uh, the opposing side, right? The implication is those people uh, are the kind of people who do that kind of thing. Those are the kind of people who sink that low. And that's self-righteousness. And all that does is it cultivates more division and more hate. And uh, all I'm saying is I think we could use a little bit more mercy today. But mercy is hard for a good reason. Mercy seems unfair. In the struggle to forgive, I think the struggle usually has to do with justice or uh, injustice to be more precise. If you forgive someone or if you show mercy to someone, isn't that uh, unjust? If I don't take the eye out of the person who took my eye out, then aren't I allowing injustice to prevail? But you see, the problem with using justice as a reason to withhold mercy is that we wrongly assume that we are capable ourselves of executing perfect justice, and that's not usually what happens. What usually happens is if you are the offended party, you want vengeance. If someone slanders me behind my back to one person and causes, let's say, I don't know how to quantify it, but let's say you cause a 20% damage to my reputation, I'm going to slander that person behind their back. Uh, but instead of telling one person and doing it to one person, I might do it to two people. I might try to slander that person and ruin their reputation by 40%. You see, it's never uh, equal. It's never eye for an eye. And anger has that way of escalating things. We are much better at pursuing vengeance than we are at pursuing justice. There's this famous uh, Brazilian, uh, uh, I guess, philosopher, thinker that uh, I had to read for school named Paulo Freire. And he wrote this book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And in that book, he says, you know what happens? Those who are oppressed eventually becomes the oppressors. And I think he's right about that because when the oppressed act out of a place of anger, it becomes a matter of uh, grabbing power rather than actually pursuing real justice. And so how do you pursue justice? I think rather than seeing mercy as an uh, opposing justice or an obstacle to justice, I think we need to see mercy as an essential component of justice. It's only when you have are able to become merciful to the offender, it's only when you have been able to resist self-righteousness, it's only when you have offered forgiveness to that pers uh, person who has offended you, where you can now be freer to pursue a purer form of justice rather than vengeance. And let me also say this, that's why I don't like secular ideologies leading movements in justice. Um, I think it was very good for black churches uh, and uh, black uh, leaders during the civil rights era, I think it's very good that they were the ones who were leading the civil rights movement because they believed in the gospel. They believed in being merciful even those to those who oppress and persecute you. 
And only then can you have this pure form of justice without perpetuating this cycle of oppression. Now, the gospel should give Christians the resources to do that, right? Believers should be better at showing mercy to those who oppose. Believers should be more reluctant to demonize and dismiss those who oppose. And what is a little bit disheartening is that we have not necessarily seen that um, in, in many churches. Uh, I haven't experienced this myself personally, uh, but from just different pastors uh, across the country, I hear anecdotes that pastors are getting burnt out uh, in this pandemic season, trying to bring right, people together in the church churches uh, because there is such deep divisions within the church uh, over things like politics, uh, over uh, things like, should we wear a mask or not wear a mask? Over whether to gather for worship in person or not. Uh, even over whether to endorse uh, things like the Black Lives Matter movement or not. And, you know, rather than showing mercy to those uh, who disagree, uh, you know, these pastors are getting burned out because the response has been to dismiss the other side as people who hate science or people who hate liberty or people who endorse white supremacy or people who endorse uh, a socialistic uh, agenda, right? But those are probably extremes and those are caricatures rather than a reflection of reality. And uh, the reason why we allow those characters to dominate our perception of other people, there's no mercy, right? And I guess my question to you and to all believers would be this, where is the mercy, right? Where is the mercy? Do you know uh, what Jesus has given to you through the cross? Do you not know that you have this incalculable debt of sin that has now been cleared? Do you know that God has shown you cosmic mercy and rather than holding the debt of sin over you and justly expecting you to pay the wages of that sin with death, he has given you this gift of eternal life. And rather than sending you into exile, he has invited you to become citizens of his kingdom, inheritors of that kingdom, to be children's children within his very own family. And if you have received that, how can you not show mercy to others whose offenses against you are basically a drop in the bucket compared to your offenses against the holy God? Now, uh, I'm, not, I'm not one to talk politics in the way uh, people in the United States talk about politics as you know, understanding this two-party system. Uh, I'm not one to do that in the pulpit. But the language of the kingdom is ultimately political language, right? And in that vein, uh, the most important kind of politics to talk about is the kind where we pledge our allegiance to another king, not to a president, not to a party, but to our Lord Jesus Christ, because we are citizens of his kingdom. And as citizens of his kingdom, uh, regardless, and I know this week is an election year, and uh, I'm sure many of you have uh, you know, a lot of anxieties and things like that surrounding that, but as citizens of the kingdom, remember this, we are called to conform to the norms of his kingdom. And that means, regardless of the outcome of the election this week, my guess is a lot of people are going to be upset no matter who wins, right? My guess is no matter who wins, there will still be this problem of uh, division. And um, you know, if you see, saw the social dilemma, there will still be this problem of you know people in echo chambers and not really being able to give others the benefit of the doubt. There will still be these deep divisions taking place. Regardless of the outcome of the election this week, don't forget... You're a citizen of the, kin of the kingdom. Don't forget 
to be merciful, to be merciful, because blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray. God, we uh, um, we know uh, that Christians should be better in the area of mercy, and not because Christians are inherently better, but uh, just like this uh, unforgiving servant, we should be better because we have uh, experienced the best kind of mercy uh, that comes from you. We have experienced the best kind of forgiveness, that we had this cosmic debt that we owed to you, that um, we would have, we should have um, you know, righteously and justly been condemned for all eternity. And yet because out of your mercy for us, because out of your compassion for us, out of your kindness for us, you have decided to forgive us. And of course, not without cost, that Jesus Christ, the very one whom we sang about, the one who is not only our king, but the one who died upon the cross, who bore uh, the penalty of our sin, of our offenses against you, so that we might be forgiven because we know him and because we know what he has done. And so God, we pray, um, even as um, our surroundings may become more contentious and more divided and all these kinds of things, uh, I in particular pray for uh, your church, your churches, your people, that we would be those who would be most merciful, that we would treat others, um, even if we don't agree, even if um, uh, others oppose us, that we would treat uh, everyone with mercy because you have shown it to us in such deep ways. And so uh, have mercy upon us, uh, continue to show us mercy, and um, by your Holy Spirit, may we be transformed by the power of your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray.